This podcast is brought to you by Rototo. Experience intense space survival action in this mobile retro arcade game. A rotating shield is the only thing standing between the incoming alien horde and your inevitable destruction. How long can you last? Play now on iOS and Android. Yeah, today's kind of like weird because scheduling wise it's different from before and I, I don't think we have a we have a topic or I, at least we haven't prepared a topic topicless yet again hi you're listening to tentative a show about digital product design and i'm your co-host uh red alemedin and with me from sunny Philly. It's Kyle Fiedler. <laughs> Kyle Fiedler. Is it sunny in Philly? It is. It is pretty sunny cool. today. Yeah. What are you working on? Uh, I just started a new project for a major pharmaceutical company, and it's tracking their research project process, basically, um, from very early on to when they launched the drug. Okay, so it's uh, for internal use only. Correct. Whoa! Actually, those are those are interesting in a lot of ways because they're different from like consumer products. Yeah, they're very different. Um, for me, it's a lot of fun because I know who the people are that are going to be using it. Yeah, and so I've been doing a ton of user interviews basically focusing on how they're solving the job now. So how they're doing it right now, which is like this janky way. Basically what we're doing is, is taking a bunch of templates that they have for PowerPoint and Excel and moving them to a more universal platform. And they take these templates and they just email them around (laughs) and they have this inane versioning system that like it's amazing what people will do when they don't know that there's a better better solution out there. <laughs> like these are they're putting hundreds of millions of dollars into researching for these drugs and yeah. the way that they're sending around the research is like basically emailing Excel and PowerPoint files. <laughs> it's crazy actually how a lot of companies still don't know that there are a lot of better ways to solve like software problems or like technology in general. Yeah. But for me, it's, it's really nice to know, like I can talk to the people that are going to be using it. Um, one of the fun things is that they're, they're from around the world too. So I got to, I think I told you, I got to talk to someone from France. Uh, the other day I talked to someone from London. So it's like I'm talking to people and, Maybe I can convince the client to like actually send me out there to do face to face usability testing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, why not? I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's the best always to to talk to the person face to face. But uh, the thing that I was actually thinking about yesterday is that like it's the the way like it, it might be a little bit of a tangent, but it's like the way technology shapes our lives now. And I was like thinking, so I guess uh, in, in case, uh, I mean, I'm not sure exactly when this episode will be out, but uh, this week, the week we're recording, yesterday, which was Thursday 21st, 
of May was the uh, Global Accessibility Awareness Day. Uh, and uh, we talked about it in the office. And I mean, I was just like on my way back home, I was thinking about, you know, accessibility. And from, from that, like started thinking about how technology affects our lives and how it's no longer you're just making a website or you're just making an app that's living in a digital device. It's you're, you're affecting the lives of people. Mm-hmm. And when you think about that, it's all of a sudden, like it just takes a very like different turn. It, it becomes a lot more serious. So like accessibility is one of those things. Like some people don't think it's important or at least they wouldn't, they don't know maybe like if it's important or not. But if if you think about it from the perspective of like if I if I make something that's not accessible, that might affect the the experience of one specific person in a given day. So I was just thinking about this, and, and it's it's pretty cool to to have this like sort of I don't know like a revelation. It's not a re- revelation really. It's just like when we do our work, like sometimes we tend to forget these things. Yeah, that there's people on the other side. I think on a previous podcast, you said we're interface designers, that like we're designing something in between people, right? Yeah. You always forget, like we have, since we're having, a lot of the times we have face-to-faces with our clients or, you know, when we're making our own applications, we're, we're on one side, but we always, we tend to forget about the people on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I think uh, accessibility would be a very good topic to talk about today. Like, what better week to talk about accessibility? Sure. I mean, what what is there anything in particular that you want to talk about about accessibility? Do you think Do you think designers these days are more accessibility minded than they were before, or uh, the same or less? What are your thoughts? What What do you think are the trends? Yeah, unfortunately, I feel like accessibility is one of those things that does trend. For me, it's like always something that I'm trying to always consider while building and designing. Um, but I do feel like maybe this is just my perspective, but like I feel like there will be trends of, I know a few years ago there was a huge trend um, of doing accessibility. And now they're, they're starting to become another trend because of all the, the JavaScript frameworks that are popping up, the accessibility behind those. Yeah. But I do it's feel good. like, unfortunately... Like it's it's really good that people are doing that, but like I wish accessibility accessibility is one of those things that shouldn't be a trend. It should be always considered and always thought about throughout whatever site or application you're building. Yeah, uh, when you said JavaScript frameworks, how how is that related to the trend of accessibility? Because some people are hiding functionality or actual content behind JavaScript. And, yeah. you know, even though it's 2015, there are people that do have JavaScript turned off. So, And that's not accessible. Right. Um, yes. So, but this is interesting because you're saying that accessibility is now sort of like feels like it's back as a trend, but JavaScript frameworks are also like trending. How can the two go hand in hand? <laughs> if you see what I mean. Like these are two trends that are not necessarily like they don't have any correlation. I think they do have correlation. I think they started because of the JavaScript frameworks or because of recent improvements with JavaScript um, in the browser. Improvements? Are you sure you're using the right word? (laughs) (laughs) 
I think those have propelled people to start making applications that may not be as accessible. Yeah. And so it's it's like a zig and a zag. So yeah. and you see the same thing with, with with design. So like as people try to be more progressive, they'll probably drop accessibility unfortunately by the wayside and then you have trends like this where they're like, okay, we dropped accessibility by the wayside. How can we introduce accessibility into these JavaScript frameworks? Or how can we better enable people that don't have JavaScript turned off or have JavaScript turned off? It seems like we're creating problems and then spending time trying to solve them. <laughs> this is amazing. I love, I love where we're heading. <laughs> it's like we're on out of like problems and they're like, you know what? We need a little bit more problems. Let's just like use some frameworks that just take everything we've built on the web for the last like 20 years and throw it out the window. Uh, you know, like URLs. No, we don't need that. Uh, browser loading hints, visual hints. No, we don't need that. Let's just make something new. Start from scratch again and then like go over like, oh, accessibility. You know, remember that thing? We've got to solve that too. Okay, next to the item. <laughs> Seriously, I'm not, I don't get that. Like we, the web has evolved a lot and I feel like we're making a lot of steps backward. And one of the biggest manifestations of that is like accessibility. Like the web today is a lot less accessible as far as I'm concerned at least than it was before. And I'm not just talking about area labels or titles on, on like HTML elements and that, but a lot of other things like contrast, like interactions, a lot of other things. And accessibility is not just like, you know, making sure you have area labels or it's also about making your website usable. And I think usability is a subset of accessibility. If your site is not usable, if you're hijacking scroll or you're doing some weird parallax, your website is not accessible by definition. It's, I mean, regardless of how many ARIA labels you put in there, it's not accessible. In, in normal usage conditions, it's not, it's not going to be considered accessible. Yeah, I mean, I agree with most of what you said. I think what happens is people forget about it. Because with a lot of those things, or I feel like with a lot of the new technology that we'd create, people take it as like an MVP and they drop accessibility as part of that MVP. Trends aside, some of the, the scroll hijacking trends, I could I could very well live without them. Yeah, so we can have like a discussion if we both agree. No, I think we can. <laughs> uh, no, what, what, I'm, uh, what I'm trying to say is, do you feel like that, designers are aware of this today i feel like i personally feel like there is even if you said earlier that uh accessibility now feels like a trend i i don't even like feel that i feel like it's now a much lower priority for uh most like things i see on a daily basis and you mentioned mvp and the thing about mvp is that it should be viable and uh, some like I've heard also MUP like minimum usable products. Yeah, a bunch I heard of permutations. Others, others, well, yeah, lines. tons of them. But the, but the idea, the main idea, is that it needs to be at least like usable. And to me, an MVP that's not accessible is probably not a good MVP. It's it's basically you're saying, oh no, I my target audience would not need like need any of these features or like accessibility features, and that's too much assumptions. And I think accessibility is not just about 
some specific uh, group of people. So uh, to me, MVP should be accessible. Like I can't think of, oh, I'm building an MVP, so I'll use this JavaScript framework because it's going to allow me to do things faster. I mean, the only thing where I, I can see that being okay is if you're like building a, a prototype and in a prototype, you don't need accessibility because you have different goals. But if you're, if you're putting something out there for everyone to use, that's, I guess, the absolute minimum is to, to have some basic level of accessibility. And if you're doing things properly, like if you're just writing proper HTML, like uh, adding like alt uh, attributes to images, ARIA labels, titles to links and stuff like that, you're actually doing, like most of the work will be taken care of for you by browsers or, or operating systems. Uh, I think it becomes tricky when you're like doing things that are way different from the the way that browsers were supposed to, uh, it could be browsers, could be operating systems. So if you do things differently, then you should take time to do accessibility as well. Otherwise you end up doing the hard work of like making a product and then forgetting one of the most crucial uh, features of your product. No, I, I agree with what you're saying. Essentially what we should be thinking about is accessibility throughout the entire process. And that's what you're saying. It hurts a lot more to do it as a add on at the end, like if you're not adding ARIA roles or you're not doing some of the simpler things at the beginning of the process and throughout the beginning of the process, uh, it takes a lot longer to go back and figure those smaller things that, that add a lot of benefit uh, later on. I think one of the, the biggest things is just doing proper markup. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, proper everything, not just markup. <laughs> right. Like, even if you're like, if you're doing CSS, try to not abuse uh, position fixed, try to not abuse like uh, pushing text 9,000 pixels. Actually don't do that. It's, it's not good. Yeah. Th basically, if you use things the way they are supposed to be used, you're going to end up with a much better like result. And so I've been doing the, the project I'm working on right now is an iOS project and I've been doing uh, iOS on and off for a while. And if you do, so iOS is pretty much like it's the same rule that applies, uh, which is if you are building your app using the tools that Apple or Google or like whoever made that platform provides, then a lot of the accessibility work is going to be taken care of. So the problem arises when you start creating these new patterns and you, these new paradigms or control like UI controls it could be a lot of things but whenever you get into creating custom things uh, you have to also be doing the accessibility work for that stuff uh, it, I mean it it should be an imperative it's not like something optional but for people who don't know how to implement accessibility then sticking to what the platform provides and not rely on on like hacks and that sort of stuff is actually will will take you a long a long way, and one one thing I realized actually is that there's no one who actually can claim that they never forget about accessibility at some point or another. Like the, as like in a designer like lifetime, there must be like at least one case where you did something and then only to realize later that this thing assumes too much about the user. 
So this happens to me a lot. And it happened to me very recently where I did a, you know, like in, in a text field, when you enter a wrong value, the text field shakes. It's a common pattern, right? But I don't think it's accessible if you're not providing some other clues. So I did it and I liked the result. And I thought that I don't need to do anything more because this is this is fine. Like it gets the, the message across. It's used across the, the OS as well. So this is for a Mac app. Apple have used it in a couple of places where if you enter the wrong password, the uh, field shakes. But that's assuming a lot. First, like it's assuming that the person will be able to, to identify that the field is shaking. And also it's, it's assuming that uh, the person like has perfect vision because the field is, was, was not highly contrasted with, with the backdrop. So yeah, it was just assuming too much. Uh, and then I, I later like went on and add, added like a message saying the value entered is wrong. And I'm thinking of even adding sound since this is a native. So I, I can add sound if it could help with that. But what I'm trying to get at is that it's fine if you forget about accessibility at some point and you, you do something with a little bit more assumptions, then it's fine like to, to backtrack late, later on. Uh, but the mindset is like you should be always looking for, for places where you can improve accessibility and also always questioning like when you have a, you have a checklist, whenever like you do some like design work, you have a checklist of, does this look good? Does this work well? You should always have like one item that says, is this accessible basically? Is that how you go about making sure that what you're designing is accessible is you kind of go through, like you gave a good example of something that you were designing that needed, needed something, some more thought, but how did you come to the conclusion that you needed to give that more thought? Like, what was it about that design or that instance? Yeah. And uh, specifically, like, is there anything like in your process? Do you go through and say, okay, this this design for this iOS app, like the the button that isn't big enough yeah. for touch, or um, when yeah. you're designing for the web, like my markup isn't totally clear, or you know, like the contrast isn't high enough. So this is a very good question. Like until recently, it was very much ad hoc. Like I would just like be doing things and, you know, trying to keep an eye. But recently I've started doing something interesting, which is like an accessibility, like uh, laundry list or not. It's, it's like an accessibility user flow, kind of like I try to go through an entire like user flow for a specific job, relying only on accessibility features. So if you use Mac, you really, really should know about command F5. Because seriously, if you don't, you're in trouble. I'm telling you that right now. Uh, Command F5 uh, turns on the voiceover feature by default. You might change that, but uh, that's like the default key binding uh, or shortcut. And I try to use the app relying on on just that. So I do that for for the websites uh, I mean, I, I work on and also for like apps. And that alone will help you a lot find areas where you should improve. There are some things that are harder to test. So like button target size and that sort of stuff on iOS, it's just becomes part of my checklist of these are the minimum requirements. Like you have to make sure your button is your, your tap target is at least 44 points. But I guess, uh, I, I guess the way I've been doing it is, is more like try just to, to test it in different conditions, uh, invert the contrast if you're on OS 10 also 
like uh, you can invert the colors so blacks become white etc and and see if your app or your website is still uh visible readable yeah so i've whenever i, I uh, ship a feature i try to do that as soon as possible sometimes i try to do it while i'm working on it but sometimes i i ship it first while trying to you know uh make sure that it's accessible but i always try to go over that later and i always like have this mindset of what would a person with color blindness uh, and that one is like the easiest one but like in general i just try to think of different types of like usage scenarios uh, and accessibility is just is a lot more than just like physical like uh, needs and things like that. It's more like what if the internet is super slow? That's to me that's also part of accessibility. If you, if I'm on like on an edge network, will this app work? Will the message it will give me be helpful? Uh, how would it make me feel? It's it's a lot bigger than what we think. If if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it certainly does make sense. I think for the longest time. Accessibility was making sure, at least for the web, that that your website worked for people who were blind or had vision issues. I know for the longest time that was what one of the things people talked about, and that is certainly a use case, but it's not the end all be all. Yeah, I think I think you talked about some of the more minor things. The the easier things to solve are you know color blindness, which is a lot more prevalent. Like just for people who have uh, might not necessarily be be blind, but have lower vision. So things yeah. like contrast, making sure your text size isn't incredibly small, just certain things like that. Uh, I think one of the things that I used to do is they have a couple apps that that will change your screen so that it looks like you're looking through the eyes of someone with color blindness. Uh, that usually gives a good flavor of like how your contrast is doing at different color blindness types. Are you talking about Xscope? Because Xscope does that. Xscope does it. There's also another one that's actually free. I forget what okay. it's called, though. Yeah, we'll add it to the show notes once we figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And and so those, for me, have been very helpful. And, and now I know things like I don't want red and brown right next to each other because uh, certain color blindness will make red brown and it'll basically look there won't be any contrast there yeah right i basically have a, a list of like things to watch out for and one of them is like relying solely on on color to convey information you have always to watch out for that like if you have like two buttons and they they don't have any text and all they have is like a color then that's a red flag or a green flag doesn't matter Color doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) What are some of the other things that you're looking out for when doing... So we talked about, you know, having proper markup, using ARIA labels, making sure your alt text is there, uh, running the site through, uh, or at least the colors. Usually, like, what I tend to do is I do that early on in the the app because the colors usually don't change that drastically. So um, when I'm picking colors, I'll, I'll run them through that. Uh, what are some of the other things that, that uh, we talked about button size for iOS, um, yeah. which might be even more interesting with the watch because the watch area is so small. Uh, what are some of the other things that you're doing? Oh yeah. I think one, one of the first thing are like is contrast. And it's also one of the easiest to, to offend because 
for some reason, designers like to have like things that contrast less. I, I don't know what's the explanation to that. I do like that too. Like visually, it's more appealing to have a very soft color, say like a beige or some other color on... I don't know. Like we tend to to lean like towards uh, less contrast visually because it's more appealing, but it's not always the the good thing to do. So, what well, that's like the first thing. Like, um, and sometimes I do make the decision of making some things less uh, contrasting, but but that's a decision, not a uh, an accident of like trying to make something look nice and then ending up with that. So, like this thing is not important or not as important, and I would rather keep it low contrast. And this is the key information in this window, and I want to make it as big as possible and as contrasting as possible. So yeah, color contrast is like number one. Uh, number two is making sure all text fields are, uh, you can navigate without the mouse, I guess, like using tab navigation. That's also very important. If your website or your app has a text field, you should be able to do that. That's uh, on, on on an iOS. It shouldn't be an issue, but if you're making native Mac or web, then people will have a mouse and a keyboard. So you have to, to make sure that's the case. Another one is like font size, of course, very obvious 16 points or pixels, depending on uh, what platform you're on is the, I try to shoot, I try to make that the minimum. On websites, actually, I make that the the minimum. But sometimes you you might you wanna you might want to have something that's a little bit smaller, just because it's not important. It's not one hundred percent important. So if if it's there, it has some percentage of importance, but it's less important than other things. So you might want to make it a little bit smaller than sixteen. You know, fine print, whatever, something like that. I mean, those are the the first things that I try to look for, and then images make sure all images they have their alt attribute uh, for svgs you can use um aria labels because they are just markup things like that and one one cool thing you can do is um so recently uh on my blog i have like this little like svg that shows the uh reading length of uh, an article and it's uh, a picture but uh since i'm using like if you're using any like dynamic uh website generator like jackal or middleman or or like even like a Rails app, then you can uh, g- like generate the ARIA label uh, dynamically with the information that the SVG is trying to convey. So if like the SVG says like has like three dots out of four, then you can just say, hey, this takes three minutes or something. This is just an example. But if you're using any sort of like information driven graphics, then make sure the labels describe that information. So for graphs, make sure you have a like a like you know some sort of like uh summary of how this graph is looking like you know just like a very short summary of what we're seeing here just a way so that like people who have trouble seeing your graph will at least know what they're looking at yeah i think those are the usual like uh offenders that i try to can i troll you for a minute sure (laughs) how do you feel about anytime how do you feel about hamburger icon Hamburger what? <laughs> Didn't we talk about that already? No. I don't really? think so. I hate them. I really hate them. It's it's the worst thing ever. It's uh, an abomination. You shouldn't use that. Case closed. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, seriously, no, I hate them. Uh, for iOS, at least, I don't want to see that. 
if I if I see an app with with an hammer icon, I immediately lower my expectations very very much. This is like yeah, I can I can see anything at this point. I won't be surprised. For Android, it makes a little bit more sense, but not anymore with material design. Like now in Android, you can use like the dots if you want to have like some sort of like menu. And well, actually, no, it, it makes it still makes sense with material design. Google is using them in a couple of places. I think it's more acceptable to me to see hamburger icon on Android. Uh, I can live with it just because I know that it's something that's built in the platform. Now, if we take all platform considerations out, I think it's a terrible pattern in the sense of like, it's a lazy way for you to do information architecture. It's basically, hey, I don't have time to organize the uh, the information architecture of this thing. So I'll just put 600 sections and, and, and put them in a menu somewhere and forget about it. Uh, I have yet to see like a hamburger icon that's used not icon. The icon doesn't matter. It could be hamburger or a uh, sandwich, you know, meatballs, whatever. Double cheeseburger. Uh, just need double cheeseburger. Uh, what's the thing you have in Philly? Uh, cheese. What? What? What do we call it? Come on, help me here. <laughs> no, I don't want to help you. Cheesesteak. Yeah, cheesesteak. There's a cheesesteak icon. Could be that too. Yeah, I think that there should be. Uh, I think uh, someone tweeted like. Uh, a list of like these icons with different names, like the kebab icon, whatever, uh, because some of them now we have different variations, but the icon doesn't matter. The pattern of like putting navigation in a side screen feels lazy to me. It's just like before we used to do that on the web all the time, like a sidebar for navigation. And these could like go forever. Like the, the these can like go on and on and on like in blogs you would have like the entire archive there or like even in websites like a huge list and if something i mean if something looks like that it to me it means just one thing it means that designer was too lazy or it could be the designer or the content person who was like in charge of like uh well, actually, it's the designer because the design is the is the job of the designer to take the content and come up with an architecture that makes sense. So, yeah, to me, it screams laziness, and I don't give a I don't give a crap. So I'll just put a bunch of sections in it. And even if they do information architecture work, and they have more than six sections, something is wrong. Uh, unless you're like New York Times or like some website that has a lot of stuff going on, you, you shouldn't need more than like for for an app at least so yeah that's what i think about it i would never use it i never i never implemented it i was about to implement it for a project but uh we didn't we switched to something else and so i i'm very proud of my achievement of not having to implement one in my entire career yay <laughs> i'm glad i take sent that, you on kyle. my rant <laughs> take so that kyle how many hamburgers you've got in your list how many? In your career. How many burgers you've flipped? Come on. I've flipped a lot of burgers. I, I have a grill. and um, so <laughs> No, not those. <laughs> so it's becoming a trend on the web now, too, to use these. Especially what kind of bothers me is on desktop size. People are using yeah. a hamburger icon. Can I can I get you to rant another five minutes about that? No, no, I I, I still I have I'm not I'm not done yet. Like <laughs> yesterday, I saw a website where the hamburger icon was bigger than the logo of the website, and I was like, "What the hell is going on with this with this word?" It's just like 
it makes zero sense. And people, they read, like, there there has been a lot of stuff written about this. Like, all right, like, it, it feels to me like it's a done deal. Like, you shouldn't be using this unless you have a really, really, like, pressing reason to. Let's say you are Facebook and you have tons of shit that your marketers want you to put in your app and you have got to find a way to put it. Yeah, fine. It's a business decision. Go for it. But other than that, why are you using that? Yeah, to give more space? Bullshit. Like, that makes zero sense to me. Like, yeah, well, that's going to save me some space. Except that it's not, it's maybe it's saving space, but it's also making it really hard for the user to know where they are and also to know where they should go. It's just like you're driving in a road with no signs. And if you want to bring signs, you have to press an icon and then the signs will come out and then you will know where you are. And as soon as you're done, you have to turn them off because the, the car can't run while the signs are on. Just think about this. It makes absolutely no sense, right? Like I should be able to see the signs while I'm driving, know where I am and know where I'm going. If I need to stop the car every time I want to switch, like go to a different place, then I probably will never reach my destination within the time I have. Probably have to spend the night somewhere. Yeah, it's just no. That's that's the way I see it. You're 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 taking a trip on a website or an app, and you should know where you are and where you're you're heading. It's, it's that simple. If you have trouble understanding this seriously, uh, I, don't, I don't. I'm not sure what to tell you. Um. So recently, Facebook changed their app navigation, right? And I believe did they. I, yeah, so I, I don't use Facebook. I'm not on Facebook, so I don't to me, either. Um, but but I saw I read an article. I, I'll I'll dig it up. It basically, when they changed their app navigation to back to the iOS default, which is like on the bottom. Yeah, uh, having the the four main categories or the four like main links at the bottom. Uh, they're not links on app, but you get what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They increased a lot of the like usage of the app in other areas rather than just the wherever the the app would load. The article had a couple other examples, so I'll pull that up. It was it was a good read. The damage uh, has been done. <laughs> like seriously, Facebook, they it's gonna be hard to fix it because once like now it's like a very like popular pattern. So even if Facebook changed it, too late. Now Google has adopted it in their system, which is actually I'm I'm kind of sad because the, like because they did. Google had a very nice tab system before, like the it, they still have it, like the top uh, tab navigation. In fact, I would argue it's better than the iOS one because it's label based. So you each tab has like a label, and you can add icons, but I think by default it comes with just labels. Whereas in iOS, it's hard to have just like navigation with labels on the tab bar at the bottom. You have to subclass or whatever. You have to do a lot of work. But now Google, they adopted that thing as well. So I think damage is done. Uh, the other question I have for you. So the question I have for you, I guess. So say you have a website and you've done the navigation on a, you know, tablet and up size, you know, it's all laid out nicely. You have it categorized. Yeah. Whatever. What are you doing with the navigation as you bring it down to uh, mobile? Mobile. Uh, that's one of the only cases where I would use a foldable menu, but it's a foldable menu. And again, this might be like you know a distinction that a lot of people don't want to make or think is not necessary. Uh, to me, it feels like it is necessary because on mobile, 
if I show all the available like navigation, that's gonna push the content way beyond like the uh, default, which is fine. But also sometimes it looks weird because labels they they wrap or things like that. It's really hard to get some navigation system look nice on a phone without having like a list uh, that can either go away or stay there. So yes, I've used that before. I'm not sure if that counts as a hamburger icon. In fact, I didn't use, I think I used the icon for one navigation system, but usually I either like spell out menu or navigation or site or, or show the actual like current page. And then when you tap, you get a list. No, I'm, I am partially fine with that. The thing I've been trying to do recently is try to not have many like navigation links in general. Like tr try to do some work even before getting to the layout, which is more like content inventory and then information architecture, uh, information design of your site. Do more work there so that your work as a UI designer will be easier. It's because it's kind of like it's a chain. So if, if you do a very lousy job at like splitting out the different sections of your site, you will have more trouble making your website easy, easily. And I'm not saying I'm super happy with foldable menus on mobile. I am not. And I, I try to avoid them. So if, if like I can do just like a list of like three items, that's ideal. But when I, when like I don't have much choice, then I, I go for that. Another pattern is like pushing the navigation to the bottom, like near the footer. Yeah. I probably can live with that too, but what what do you what which pattern do you favor for uh, mobile navigation? The one that you talked about, basically ha having it fold under. I usually have an icon with some text of what it is, because you know I agree with you. Even without, aside from the hamburger menu icon, like I'd rather have text and an icon than just an icon alone. I don't think usually that doesn't convey enough to users what it is um, so I'm usually trying to do both and so this goes along with that but do you make it like foldable uh, at the top of the website or you just yeah I get a, I get annoyed when like if I have a link at the top that send me down to the footer when I'm on my phone I yeah that action like annoys me because no, you're yeah. you're taking yeah. me from one part of the page to another when I'm looking for it's like a warp, <laughs> yeah, it's I don't like know. You're warping someone from <laughs> you're you're trying to change my mental model of like what I think of a website. Like when I think of a website, like the navigation is at the top and content below that, and then maybe some navigation again in the footer. But I don't think of like the main navigation being in the footer, and so you're changing the mental model I have of what a website is, and moving yeah. me down. It's the same thing. Yeah. Basically, I have the same issue with that that I do with um, uh, the scroll jacking. It's like you're taking something that I expect of like a smooth scrolling or simple scrolling or being able to stop in the middle of a scroll and not allowing me to do that. You're changing my mental model yeah. of how the web works. Yep. And regarding like, uh, like the foldable menus, another issue is that they're not as accessible, especially if you're like doing... Uh, display hidden on CSS, that's going to be a big issue. So keep that in mind too. Uh, like the last time I did it, I tried to use visibility hidden. Which one was that? Like, I think, I think if you use visibility hidden screen readers would still read it. I don't remember actually which one I ended up using or 
but I honestly try to avoid all of those like things that require a lot of interaction to get to. Like if I need to navigate, I should be able just to visually find what I want to go and then tap. Uh, it's not always easy to do. And uh, a lot of times it's, uh, it's funny because a lot of my recent projects have been either entirely like mobile uh, like apps. So mobile is like the core of everything we do or desktop only and mobile is not a primary it's not a primary it's like they have like it's like we would have for instance like a mobile app or a separate mobile site even some of the projects like had separate mobile app like you know the m dot something so the website didn't have to be as as good on mobile as the other like cases so yeah i haven't been dealing with this problem for my personal sites i just keep it navigation as links so like a list of links it, it shouldn't hurt if you have four to five elements with like short labels like things like home contact work that sort of stuff it should be doable on mobile without any foldable navigation uh mobiles these days they have like bigger screens so you can totally fit at least three labels in in one in one row and then if you have more like two others you can just like put them under that and it should be fine most of the time I see this as a problem for like uh, content-driven websites where they have a lot of categories and subcategories and all of that. But I think this is something they can solve by using what's already there. So you click the first category, you go to a category page where you see the sub-navigation for that specific one. So you can click or tap one more time. I I feel like sometimes we try to optimize too much. Uh, to the expense of things like uh, discoverability and accessibility and things like that. I really I really like what the web has to offer out of the box. And I think making use of that usually has really good results. So- I'm, I'm actually, <laughs> a lot of the things I use these days, like get me a lot more like upset just because they're done, not using like web technologies. But anyways, this is like a tangent. Do you, for the web, not use CSS anymore and just plain old HTML? That's it. <laughs> I'm not there yet. <laughs> uh, just because I think Times New Roman is terrible f- default font. If browser makers like start defaulting to nicer looking fonts, I don't know, like Helvetica or Source Sans or something, I might actually drop CSS at some point, at least for very simple like pages. You know, like if I'm just doing some release note page i don't want to spend time like doing fonts and stuff like this is a release note page and but currently the default look of sites without css is terrible i think it's lovely no it's terrible it's just not right uh so until browser makers and this is a discussion we've been having in our stockholm office a lot about how browser makers like could step up their game and and do a lot more than what they're doing right now so it should be like browsers should no longer compete on just speed. It could be like imagine if like uh, the next browser from Microsoft or Apple uh, like defaults to some nicer like so for instance for Windows it would default to Sego. I don't know how to pronounce that font face. S E G O E I think that's the default system font face. Sego whatever. Or Apple it would default to Helvetica. Uh, that would be nice. I would actually like using that feature like a lot of the times i would end up in a very old website that has no css and if the browser makes that looking nicer why not maybe we won't need like uh style resets at some point 
or maybe we would need more of them if they end up doing this sort of stuff. But <laughs> yeah, I but think you, I think you get, get into a case where you no. need more more resets yeah, rather than true. less, just because. Yeah, uh, I didn't mean resets. <laughs> I meant something like bitters, where we are adding like basic styles. Bitter is not a reset, so it's not like but, basic style. But if each browser maker is adding their own basic style, you're going to need style to reset all of those, so that you're starting uh, from it could a be, good point. I, this is really easy to solve. Like the, it could be an option that says use browser styles or use uh, the site styles. Like it could be just like a toggle option, or even like by default it you, it it works the way it does today. Uh, you know, like the reader view in Safari. Have used that before? I have not. The readability view in Safari allows you to takes any website, try to remove all of the images and ads and stuff, and uh, just pulls the text. It's just like a readability or Instapaper, but it's built in in Safari, and I think it's a brilliant feature. I mean, it's not developed as, as much as it's good, and it's most mostly focused on like readability. But it could be like a mode that like I don't know, call it call it plain mode or whatever. That just like takes a website ignores all the styles of that specific website and applies a basic style sheet, readable, clean style sheet, like, you know, black on white, that sort of stuff. I think it's, I mean, it, it wouldn't hurt. And actually, it's actually a lot more accessible than most of the stuff I see these days. Like, you know, all the bells and whistles and all of that. And yet it's like, I, I have trouble using the web. And I feel like I always like considered myself to be okay with this sort of stuff. I mean, in, in terms of like, yeah, it's fine. But now I feel a lot of times I feel, uh, I, I don't feel empowered. Like I want to do this simple thing and this website doesn't want me to do it. I just want to scroll for God's sake. I want to scroll. You don't have to freeze the frame for like five Like I've seen these websites that start doing this where they force you to stay in a section of the page. That's scroll jacking, but it's taken to another level where there's no animation, no nothing that's happening. It's just this paragraph, it's going to freeze for this amount of scroll distance. So you can keep scrolling. We want you to stay here for five seconds or whatever. Like they're but this is stupid. Like this is the stupidest thing I've I've seen. And seriously, if you have done this before, dear listeners, go right now and and take that off the site. It's just there's no like sane design argument that would lead you to that decision. It could be business arguments or marketing arguments, but that's not good for usability. And a lot of other things like I took scroll jacking, but so many things these days are just not working the way they're supposed to. Well, Google does this a lot in their web apps. It's like they hijack the uh, right click. So if you're in Google Docs, basically you got the right click of whatever app you're using, which now we think it's fine. But if you think about it, it's not. I'm on a browser. I want to be able to use my system stuff. Say I have an extension on my Mac that takes a, a string and translates it. If I'm using Google Docs, looking at a doc in Swedish or something, I can't select that and translate it because Google decided that they want me to be in their like Word where they know what I need and they designed for it. Well, sorry, Google, you don't know what I need. Uh, I need to translate the sentence right now from Swedish to English, and you're not allowing me to do that. Yes, I'm maybe nine, the 1% or you know the 20%, whatever. I fall in that category of people who are not the primary user. But hey, it's still users. And this stuff like gets me riled up. Uh, can go on days talking about this, but you know, you get the idea, I guess. 
<laughs> yeah, I think we should name this episode the one where Rada rants. <laughs> Wait, what? I'm I just, I, I'm trying to actually stay uh, a little bit more like critical. Uh, so don't discourage me. I'm not discouraging you. Although I do think we should wrap things up. We're we're getting close uh, to time. Yeah, I think I think we should. Uh, Thank you for listening. This is episode seven of Tentative. You can see our show notes at tentative.fm slash seven. Uh, you can email us at hosts at tentative.fm and follow us on Twitter at tentative.fm. Yes. And if you enjoy the show, please give us a rating uh, on iTunes, preferably not a one star. <laughs> Thank you very much. We don't need any one stars. Okay. <laughs> That's going to just hurt us so them. bad. It's <laughs> just going to hurt us so bad we might stop this. So please, no one stars. You can email us if you're upset, but yeah. All right. Cool. I think we're, we're good. Later. Yeah, cool. Bye. Bye.